So in the theme of spiritual experiences uh, this evening in the talk I would like to look at the general way of our life and the presence in this world and we might say that for much of our inner life and the experiences which unfold for us they have a purpose for better or worse or for us dealing with everyday we might say secular, worldly, secular matters. And so much of what goes on within us is in fact related to what we are doing, the people who we are living with, the practicalities of going from one day uh, to the next, and dealing not only with ourselves and the material world and finances, but also of course, our connection and in our relationship with other people. And when we look at the experiences that we have, much of them is absorbed <coughs> in all of that. It's reflected in the, what we think about, it's reflected in our feelings and emotions, it's reflected in our views of time, past, present and future. And it could appear that the primary um, effort and direction of our life is making the attempt to get on with our life as well, as clearly and as sanely as possible in a way in which one isn't too much affected and disturbed by events. And this wish, <coughs> common enough wish, is expressed in the lives and experiences of countless numbers of people uh, on this earth. And in that interaction and interdependence, in fact, which we have, we see too that in the field of experiences and events, that in the secular world, they have the power to affect us, other people affect our lives and who we are and what we can do and can't do. And we also do have an impact and an influence upon the lives of others. So that there is this interactive, interdependent process going on of being influenced by and influencing others. And we say, well, here I have my life. Here I have my being, my presence, my uh, existence going on with all of this. Sometimes there are situations in the everyday, immediate, conventional world which does force out of us a little bit more questioning, a little bit more asking oneself, which goes beyond just my personal existence and the quality of my life and how successful or unsuccessful I am dealing with circumstances. And perhaps some of us may have had the privilege of um, witnessing a birth, or for some women, uh, giving birth, or being in a situation of life which is deeply touching, attending a funeral, or a situation in the nature as well. And in such experiences, the conventions, the secular life, the worldly considerations, the so-called practical world of cause and effect and all of that seem to matter much less than something 
flowers or emerges out of life which really touches us and it brings a, a strong response from us. And in that impact and response that comes to us, we feel affected by it. Affected by it in a, in a different way from the norm and the everyday concerns. And I feel and believe that those experiences to things which are not just about me, myself, my personal history, the state of my ego life, those experiences which go beyond that matter immensely. And in some way, our life, if not the world itself, can't be put aright, can't find its balance, unless we do have some exposure to experiences which are beyond the norm, which are different from the conventional, different from the secular life, the worldly life, the uh, life of me and my existence. And somehow or other, for all the talk of freedom uh, that we speak of in our society, and all the talk of (coughs) what we can do, and all the talk of choices that we uh, actually have, There is concern, and a number of you have expressed it here over the days, that perhaps there is great confinement and restriction there. And perhaps we're not really as free as we are led to believe. And the mind is endorsed with difficulty and conflict and pain. Can we really talk of freedom while being exposed and having to endure and experience that? So then in the questioning of ourself and in the looking at our self, perhaps then we need to question and ask ourselves, <clears throat> is the actuality of my experience for the most part, perhaps tragically seven days a week, just concerned with secular worldly life? What I have, what I want, and being caught up and living in that. And that's the norm of our experiences. And in that, there surely has to be for us some degree, some measure, somewhere of protest about the limitation and the confinement of it. Experiences which go further than that or beyond that we might put in a religious or spiritual Uh, category or not put them in um, any whatsoever. But there might have been times in uh, your life, our life, where either in a moment or in a particular period something was different from the worldly, secular form of experience. And for some that might mean, of course, through the processes of meditation. It might mean through being out in the nature, contact with another environment, or a sudden perception of something on the street, anywhere, which somehow or other impacted upon one. One couldn't organise that, one couldn't choose to have that experience. There was no arrangement that was possible. But in the circumstances of things, perhaps quite unexpectedly, there was a receptivity. And in that receptivity, it affected one. 
And in the impact it had on oneself, it alerted one. It made one wonder, perhaps. Perhaps there's a sense of awe or mystery or the mystique of experience, something different from the norm and the everyday. Those things may, in the patterns of mind for us, might count for little. We say, well, I had that, I, you know, I took acid, I uh, walked in the Himalayas, I uh, uh, did a retreat, I, um, I uh, what did I do? I got, went into the desert, um, I climbed the hill at Gaia Hill, whatever. I looked up at the stars uh, at, at night, I met this incredible guru, and uh, all the other forms that, that, that uh, uh, can take place. I uh, walked over London Bridge and felt the, the great throb of humanity pouring over into the city, whatever it might be. And one was affected and touched by that. It broke one out of, temporarily, out, out of the, the conventional, structured, formed view of the way things are. And something opened up temporarily. But in that kind of opening up, uh, temporarily taking place, obviously and very easily, it can become a memory, as it will do. And in the, in the, the memory of that, we then find the old coming back in, sometimes with a vengeance, and one is thrown back in to the norm, to the everyday, and getting on with our life and living it as much as possible. And then wondering, is just that what it's about, the occasional glimpse of something, the occasional uh, once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-decade being uh, touched by something and then um, back into the old patterns and so forth. And it can be hard, as many of you will know and have experienced, of what it is to make some kind of transition or change in which where one has been, if one has been, touched with some depth, some opening that's gone on for one, how that can be translated, transferred, transmitted into the everyday life. Unfortunately, very easily for us, the I comes in with uh, an alarming degree of frequency and has and makes a grip on the experience. Some may be listening here, and while you were just listening to me rambling on here, um, may have uh, formed the view, well, I've never had such an experience as you're talking about. I can't possibly relate to anything. Um, my, my life can, consists of um, um, fudging along with a lot of thinking, and that's all I've ever known. And uh, if that is uh, the case, and one has never had any experiences of life which are uh, touching and has some depth to it, then one has got some real thinking to start doing. How come I am living my life in such a way that I'm just moved along 
by the force of circumstances trapped in cause and effect considerations and I can't sense, see, know, feel, experiencing, experience anything outside of it. And for some, that might need and require fairly dramatic changes in one life. It would, it would, be, it would be a sad thing in life to pass through life thinking life is nothing but trying to make ends meet. Life is nothing but getting on with it as best one can. And that's all there is to it. It's just something that one was thrown into and is going to be thrown out of. And, well, let's get on with it while it lasts. And there are numbers of people who essentially have that viewpoint. Tragic. It's a tragedy. A social, personal tragedy. So if one has no sense of experience of what I'm referring to in, in various uh, ways, then some hardcore questioning is, is necessary. What am I prepared and willing to do to make a substantial shift of consciousness? What am I prepared to give up for that? What am I prepared to let go of? What risks am I prepared to make to really shift consciousness? And environments like this are the places, amongst others, for that kind of vigilance and determination. But as I said, there can be experiences, a sense of things, in a different order, a different kind of dimension of the way things are. And very easily, the I, the I in its conceited form, comes in and makes a claim over. And the teaching, spiritual teachings, and the Buddha has gone into this uh, well, tremendous uh, uh, depth and very beautifully. And he says, and one's own experiences can uh, see and confirm this, that there are experiences which take place, and I just referred very briefly just to a handful of them, and the kind of forms and circumstances that trigger these experiences, the experiences themselves will, by the nature of things, arise because the conditions are there and, and they will pass. They arise and pass, no matter how touching, significant, profound the experiences are. The experience might last for one moment, it might last all day, it might last for days, morning, noon and night, but as sure as night follows day, it will come and it will pass. And the experiences can have uh, a considerable degree of impact, but it's not the experiences of themselves which matter. It's the insights which come out of it. It's the insights which are the significant factor. And people have come and said, well, on retreat, and in numerous other circumstances, oh, Christopher, I had this experience. I had that experience, etc. And can genuinely feel very touched and affected by the quality and the depth of the, ex of the experiences. But it's the understanding which is the essential factor of it. And what can happen very easily and very, and very common is that there's the experiences 
whatever, which bliss, joy, happiness, ecstasy, love, interconnectedness, unity, um, wonder, mystery, all those forms that we might put under the general label of spiritual experiences. And then the eye zooms in, rocket-like, and it says, I have had this experience, or I am having it. So much better. One doesn't want it to go away. And one finds that as soon as the I is arising, and I am having this experience, the force of the I begins to corrupt the experience. And the thought arises, oh no, I, my, my mind has come in, my thoughts have come in, I'm grasping, I'm clinging, the ego, the I, has come in and the experience is being corrupted moment to moment and, oh God, it's disappearing right now as I'm having it. Why? Because my I has come in and grasped onto it. And most those in meditative life, spiritual life, um, have noticed and observed in ourselves the potency of the I which comes in and grabs hold of an experience just in the very moment that one is beginning to appreciate it. The very moment that one has, the thought has arisen, ah, there is something worthwhile about this dreadful activity of meditating morning, noon and night, or whatever it might be. So the iron comes in, and either in the middle of it, or immediately afterwards, and it takes a hold of the experience. But unfortunately, in the taking, the conceit of taking hold of the experience, it inhibits the opportunity for the insights and the understanding to come from the experience or from immediately afterwards. And then it's, I had this experience and one is just left with the memory. Or sometimes it occurs for people person, say, it might be a retreat situation, or elsewhere, and there's experiences which are unfolding, there's a certain um, depth to them, one couldn't organise the experience, so to speak, and then the thought arises in its claiming over it, one starts to enter into dialogue, either it might, in this case it might be Russell and myself, or or another teacher or a guru or whatever and what I will say to him and her when I see them next so the experience is going on then the I is born and then the you, the other is born often the authority figure or somebody that one wants to impress and the experience is fast diminishing as one gets into an internal dialogue about what one is going to say to somebody else if one isn't already picked up a pen and writing one's autobiography of the transcendental experience, or whatever. So the I emerges, it can come extraordinarily quickly, rather choicelessly, and grab hold of the experience, and the I has got some conceit, ego, that's going along with it. And as I said, rather unfortunately, that when that is occurring, what does happen is that the quality of the inner life becomes a second-class citizen. citizen. 
and what becomes supreme thing is I and what I have got and one has just made a slightly subtle shift from the secular what I have got to the spiritual what I have got it's a slight movement some would even call it an improvement but there's some doubt about it and, but nevertheless it's the I claiming over just a shift from a claim over um, the external environment my house, my home, my uh, garden to my inner interior environment and a claiming over that in that process of life going beyond normal normal experiences the sensing for something else and other the recognition and appreciation of it may not be in the time. You, you have the experience in a general form of what is called being on a retreat. And then, after a number of days, one leaves, one person um, um, and left today. Quite often, people do notice that somebody has left. It's not such a, a big community of us during the days. And the thoughts can arise, some people say, oh, I knew he couldn't handle it. Or, 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 or whatever, well, he looked very agitated when I saw him in the small group, etc. And form the view that somebody has left because they have fled. doesn't need to say it has. In this case, uh, the person who left today was because a tree has fallen down on his partner's house. And he felt... Uh, has to go and move the tree, I would think, or whatever he has to lead, 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 lead to do. So, these situations which arise of experiences, as they say, taking place, in those experiences which um, occur, there's the, the flow of the experience, but sometimes it's later on that one realises and gains the insight into the experience not necessarily at the same time as the experience. Someone might have the... Uh, maybe um, and in the not-too-distant future you go back to your respective places, you go back on the road or whatever you are doing when you leave here and there's the recollection of the experience of a retreat or the experience of a particular meditation or a particular communication with one of us, or whatever. And in the recollection that comes about, there's some insight, flower. And one starts to see things clearly. A maturing or an understanding begins to emerge. It has a background of experience, but the insight and the understanding has come a day later, a week later, a month later, a year later, a lifetime later. And... Yet there's a definite relationship between the raw experience and the insight which comes. They don't necessarily correlate and work together. For some will leave here, and that won't be the case at all, of course. And the primary thought is, well, that week is just one more thing to forget in this life. And, and one wouldn't be seen dead in such places because they feel dead already. Fair enough, one has one's views on these situations. So, there's experiences with simultaneous insight, there's experiences and no insight, 
and there's experiences in which the insights come later. The insight aspect of it is what matters. And one can't organise the insight. One can't say, well, I'll have some, I'm having this experience, now I'll have some insights into whatever. So something has to come which choice can't make. The deep things of life don't have any choice uh, with them. Deep things of life are beyond choice. And in the deep things of life, what comes and flowers to us, it's hard to know prior. One can't organise or arrange these things. And yet, they're of significance for the well-being of a human being and the well-being of the earth itself, in fact. Some people, and I include some of you on the retreat and others, may have a great deal of exposure to the way of life which emphasises those themes, that really centralise themes of one's day-to-day life. There can be the range of experiences which occur, put under general level of spiritual, religious, connected, profound, deep, joyful, wonderful, whatever. There can be the experiences arising, of course, with the insights which come, either in the here and now or later. And then sometimes people get the view which also lends to misunderstanding in spiritual life, that having experiences and then having um, insights will somehow automatically mean, ah, I've had the insights, therefore I'm going to be eternally clear, I'm um, going to be the Buddha for the 21st century, um, that might be slightly exaggerated, but at least for a few years, and um, um, the eye can arise in which one assumes that wisdom, which is, as I mentioned to someone today, is, um, is, is God in this tradition. Wisdom is God here. That wisdom is the natural outcome of the insights. That there's experiences, there's the insights which come, and there is a wisdom. And though the quality of the experience fades, though the insights, fade as such, it leaves as it, as it were, as a, a beneficial residue for a human being wisdom. And sometimes people who have done short retreats and long retreats, and I can think of examples of men and women who have done very long uh, uh, retreats of days, weeks, months um, and uh, years, who realise um, that it's not always the case. And some of the teachers here have done long, uh, continuous retreats. And, uh, and, and part of that is the recognition in all worthwhile traditions that just as in other areas of life, things do have to season. They do have to season. For example, recently, um, Russell participated in the retreat and um, two or three uh, others of you um, we had one of the teachers here last month was Suryadas. And Suryadas is in the Dzogchen tradition. And the Dzogchen tradition is um, one of the delightful and much more um, anarchic traditions of uh, Tibetan Buddhism. 
and it has a close uh, companionship with uh, the uh, insight meditation tradition, as you can see. We don't have entertainment in the form of altars and Buddha images here. It's regarded as slightly anarchic thing not to have these things. And when um, one of the uh, Theravadin monks came to give a retreat here, part of the uh, week-long retreat did in, in, include chanting and bowing to the to the Buddha image as a representation of wisdom, etc. But we didn't have anything and that really could be used. And the result of that was that one of the managers went scurrying around the kitchen and came up with a round breadboard and that was put on a table here and that was the wheel of the Dharma. Personally, I prefer to use it to cut bread, but that's something else. So in the Dzogchen tradition, like in some of the insight meditation traditions, the outer forms and not the interest. The interest is what the immediate experience is. And with Suryadas, he did one, twice uh, long retreats. One, one of them, self-retreat, three years, three months, three days. Then uh, a few months break, and then back into another solitary, three years, three months, three days. It's kind of a fairly classical uh, approach. Not that too many of you here will be doing that. You're lucky to survive for the three days. But it's a reflection and a mode and a form, one might say, of the kind of commitment in one form, not making a, a fuss of it, but a little one, of the <laughs> intention and the determination that some people have. And I say that in, in the light of their experiences, their insights, and then there's a natural unfolding and coming together of the wisdom of living. And for some, that time span, in practical terms, between experiences, uh, insights, and the wisdom, may be faster, as the Buddha said, than a blink of the eye. It's a simultaneous realization, simultaneous experience, simultaneous insight, and simultaneous wisdom, and one knows one is a free, enlightened human being. And the issue of life, the question of life, the purpose of life, the way of life, the problem of life, the confusion of life, is finished with. It's gone out of the mind. And for others, there's experiences, there's insights as I referred to, and then there's a seasoning, a wisdom which comes. And it's not unusual... In that process, I heard one example today, not at all unusual, experiences and insights and clarity and well-being can be there. And the I arises, and the I assumes more than its wisdom, more than the wisdom that's there. And it's not unusual for people to say to to us, or to themselves, ah, now I know. Now I know. I understand. Now I see clearly. Now I realize what all this is about. Now I understand these things. And there is a genuine uh, and authentic sense which is completely believable from within that that these things are clear and are understood. 
another person in another um, mystical tradition may say, now I have found God. Now I am with God. I am living with God. Now I am um, at one with the truth of things. Now I am... Um, and now I know that peace which surpasses all understanding. However we might phrase or not, or not phrase. And it's not unusual for the I to arise with that. Not to cheat or mislead or to delude oneself or anybody else. But a misunderstanding. A not knowing of oneself. And then time can go by, days, weeks, months, years. And something can start to move inside. It's called suffering. It's called anxiety. It's called unrest. It's called confusion. It's called turmoil. It's called self-doubt. It's called agitation or whatever. And one says to oneself, how come I've had these experiences? done all this meditation practice, explored this way of life, I've had these insights, and then I thought it was all so clear, and I understood. And the eye has made a genuine mistake. It's genuinely seen something which isn't there. It's genuinely taken upon itself an assumption which is false. And the, the nature, in the nature we might say, that the criteria for knowing that is the suffering. It's the suffering that goes on in, in life. Suffering is the kind of indicator to a human being, for any of us, that something needs to be addressed. It's a, a, a way of helping us to see some, that there is some understanding which is not present in consciousness. Quite often a non-verbal, non-conceptual, definitely non-theoretical understanding. So a relationship to spiritual practices, experiences, insight and wisdom, all of that, there's a kind of organic seasoning, maturing, ripening, whatever that we might speak of. And therefore, as it were, requires the watchfulness of what the eye does. And how, in some situations, the people, there are a number of people, a number of you here, including myself, who, as an example, say, have been to India. There's still a regular and a frequent journey of people um, going to uh, in India and not necessarily to go to an ashram or to a monastery or to a, a cave or a jungle or a desert, all of which, of course, is uh, possible. But it's a, a breaking out of the environment, of the familiar, of the known, and putting consciousness, putting oneself into another environment, just as you are doing here. And it can be extremely easy in life to assume... But because there's a clarity in a particular place, the clarity has a staying power to it. People can be extraordinarily clear in the meditation room, but 
can't handle the food queue for lunch. <laughs> or vice versa. And, <laughs> you see what I mean? So in the relationship, when we're speaking of transcendence, it's not a metaphysic. Not some G-O-D loitering around upstairs. But transcendence means an awareness or a wisdom or a seeing which embraces time and place. And so teaching consistently point to transcendence. But it's the transcendence which means that one's state of well-being in life, one's knowing of the nature of things in life, is steady in any time and place. Therefore one has transcended time and place. And the teachings keep pointing us again and again to realizing and to discovering that transcendence. Otherwise we just make it a theoretical, abstract um, belief system and utterly removed from uh, uh, what deep transcendence genuinely and authoritatively means. So our range of experiences and exposures to experience, it is, to repeat myself, very hard to know the significance of them in the time and in the place. Very, very hard to know. And some of them don't seem to, if we're honest with ourselves, don't seem to have any carry-on effect for us whatsoever. And, it's, and, and what's going to enable us to know but through the experiences of life? So in other words, sometimes people on retreats and out of them will say, I've had this incredible experience happen to me. And it's shook me to the bottom of my being. Or it's uh, really woke me up. And in that I saw this and that, this and that. All can be very, very important and valuable. And the intensity of it the strength of it, the impact of it, and I'm talking here joyful, blissful, but sometimes very painful and difficult ones, can be such that one really thinks the very strength and the intensity of it means it has to carry forward. It really will have to influence my life. (laughs) Human beings have no track record of learning through intense experience. doesn't mean anything. Anything. No matter how religious it could be or how otherwise it could be. But unless it's transmuted itself into wisdom, one will repeat it. One will be recycled into the same event with a slight variation on the theme yet again. Because that's the nature of things the way of repeating and recycling. And how many times have we said with extraordinary conviction this happened to me and I'll never let it happen again. We speak with such expertise and display such knowledge about our profound ignorance of who we are. 
And the more conviction we have, I'll never do this again, I'll never let this happen to me again. The stronger the conviction is the stronger the invitation to repetition. The stronger the conviction, the stronger the invitation to its repetition. And the mind can't see that. It's got such absolute certainty and such strength of determination it will never do this again. And the very pressure on the mind, the very absolutism, is its own attraction for it to occur. One is extraordinarily watchful of the conceit of I. The arrogance of I. The claimant over one's existence that the I tends to make. We need some humility. But to have a feeling of humility in, in life is a very deep inner spiritual awareness. And if one's looked at any spiritual teachings, when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are humble, they shall inherit the earth. He is not talking about wimps talking about an understanding about the nature of I, its conceit, its arrogance, and the seeing through that to bring a humility into life. It's not passiveness, it's not quietitude, it's not withdrawal or any of those things. It's an understanding which humbles the claims of I. When I was a a monk, which I say seems lifetimes ago, Perhaps it is. And I was in, where the hell was I? Um, Dharamsala. And I was giving some teaching there. It's uh, Dharamsala. It's a small village in the foothills of the Himalayas. And perhaps um, best known um, these days as the place where um, a number of Tibetan refugees and the Dalai Lama as well uh, um, live. And I remember at that time um, in, one of, in one, of the, one of the talks saying something along, along the lines I was, a, I was a monk then and you have to make allowances for the eccentric viewpoints that monks come out with and what I said was that there were three things in, in my life which I was determined not to happen and one of them was um, to get involved in uh, 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 relationship I'd seen what goes on with relationships and it wasn't encouraging um, the, 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 the second was um, um, not to become um, a parent and I've seen what goes on with those and that wasn't encouraging either and the third was um, not to live in a, a suburban street and I remember what I do remember about these three was um, the um, conviction. Um, I said I can't remember what it was in relationship or reaction to at the time. And now, 20 years later, I find myself with a 14-year-old teenage daughter. Um, no relationship at the present time, but obviously I did have one sometime. And um, living in a terraced house in an in a instantly forgettable suburban street of Totnes. And 
one learns in, in life the, the, the movement of events uh, uh, in life and it has been for myself and um, hopefully a small encouragement to others to be extraordinarily watchful of what the eye says about the present and future what it makes claims over and a little bit more humility in life and a little bit less uh, certainty and absolutism in our lives would be one small but invaluable demonstration of wisdom so the teachings themselves through experiences through insights through practices through the vigilance about the eye keep pointing to a transcendent wisdom what is that transcendent wisdom? a wisdom which is not limited and defined by time and place and to understand that is to understand well and clearly the nature of all deep spiritual teachings that have ever been made available to women and men on this earth understand that the mystical texts, the spiritual texts, the words of the sages, past, present and future, and all of that will become easily clear. Because one has looked into the field of experience, looked into the field of insight, and looked into the, the wisdom that can emerge from it. May all beings see into life. May all beings be touched with the field of experiences may all beings discover that liberating wisdom. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.